everyone. Welcome to JoJo's World. Hello, hello, hello. How are you, Nick? Uh, I'm pretty hype after that. Yeah, good app, good app. Yeah. Sets a lot of things up. Today we watched episode 4 of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 3, Stardust Crusaders, entitled uh, Tower of Grey. And I just realised now that I forgot to check which chapters of the manga it covers. But I'm Liam. thinking it's 122 through 124. You have failed me for the last time, sir. Well, what can you do? Um, fire you. Well, okay, bye. <laughs> Good sure. luck editing the podcast, Nick. I don't know. Okay, that's fine. I'll just pretend like I know how to do anything. <laughs> I'll set up my own show. It's going to be called JoJo's Furled. Yep, good it'll name, be, original, it'll... catchy, makes sense, uses real words. Slight Chinese knockoff, but still pretty good. So, any preliminary thoughts about this week's episode? A lot of things happened. Yeah, I guess so. The last few episodes have been a bit like, okay, yep, get on with it. But then this one was just like, BAM! There was movement, there was action, there was a bad guy who wasn't a good guy being mind-controlled. Exactly. Right to the point. To the point. Like pincers. Pincer points. Alright, sure. <laughs> You could have said needle point, because he had a tower needle. Also could have said they were in a pinch. So we open. <laughs> it's Dio's house. Yeah, it's Dio's house and some woman is narrating. Yep, uh, there's an old lady there. She's tiny. Uh, she's talking about the nature of fear. Dio seems to be having some sort of vampire orgy. Just with a bunch of naked ladies. A bunch of naked ladies, most of whom seem to be dead. Strewn across the floor and the bed and the abode in general. Yep. And this lady's talking about... Uh, how there are all different kinds of fear. There's the fear born of like animal instinct and the fear born of rational thought and the fear of the unknown when you encounter something that you can't understand. And there are a lot of different reactions to fear. You could struggle it, you could resist it, you could flee. But when you meet Dio, you have a new reaction and that's joy. Joy. And as she's saying this, Dio beckons over one more woman and she also looks... Also naked. Yep. I think Dio's also in the buff. Yeah, he's very much Although, like... I did notice he has like some weird leather arm straps on. So I maybe, maybe like... he's into that sort of thing. I feel like all from here down, he's wearing some weird orange... That's like the hip down. Mm. He's wearing an orange or maybe yellow pants. And then he just has suspenders that he never wears. <laughs> which is why he's always shirtless. So he beckons this woman over... And she looks, like, overjoyed, She's like, basically. Oh my god, he's picked me. Yeah, and he inserts his fingers into her neck and I assume drains her dry. What a joy. Oh dear, you scoundrel. Oh, flawless being. And then uh, Dio asks, well, how do people act once they feel joy and fear? And then we cut to the map. Yes, we cut to the map of them leaving Japan. Heading down towards Cairo, Egypt. But not quite there yet. Seemingly ignoring the question, the old lady says... He's currently on the plane that Joe Star and the others are on, but they won't reach their destination alive. <laughs> There's <laughs> laughter. <laughs> and then now we're cut to the plane. <laughs> no. Oh, no, plane. <laughs> Everyone's sort of sleeping, the lights are off, but there's this buzzing. But what's the buzzing coming from? The plane? Something in the plane. It must be. Joseph? Kakuin wakes up and there's a rhinoceros beetle buzzing around. No, not a rhinoceros beetle, a stag beetle. <gasps> a stag beetle? Yeah. Good lord. Could it be a stand, maybe? A stand beetle? It's possible there could be a bug-shaped stand. Avdol's heard of such a thing before. He has. Yeah. It flies down amongst all the seats in the aeroplane. No one else is waking up at all this commotion they're making. They are literally standing up and talking quite loud. Yeah. Just going, but what if it's a stand? I don't know, Joseph. What if it is a stand? I don't know. What if it is? And then some guy... Can you guys shut up? Hey, hey. 
We're going to save your life. I don't see any fucking beetle. Yeah, Someone well, around them quietly presses the button that pages the air hostess. <laughs> so, excuse me. Uh, there are a bunch of dicks over there just talking about some fucking beetle. It doesn't exist, though. I can't fucking see it. <laughs> yeah, it disappears. And then they're like, where did it go? Jojo, it's on the side of your head. <gasps> and we cut to the OP. No, by all means, keep going. <laughs> it's just me doing that for the rest of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> just trying to figure out what the actual melody was in my head. Observances about the opening this week. Uh, well, I remarked, hey, that guy with the tall hair, who I'm pretty sure is going to become one of the main characters, given that he keeps showing up in both the opening and the closing sequence... Looked like the guy from King of Fighters. Mm, and we'll get to that in greater detail next week. Yeah, uh, I learned something today. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I'm very I'm very keen for this guy. Yeah, that's pretty much all I saw. Yeah, I didn't really notice anything else of note. Yeah. I mean, I thought that the guy at the end didn't look like Dio, and then you just went, well, it's very obviously Dio. And I was like, understood, understood. Yep. Okay. The shadowy figure that Jotaro is punching. Yes. I thought it looked more like a stand than Dio. And you were like, no, it's Dio, see? I was like, okay, all right. You can tell by the star-shaped birthmark on the back of his neck. Shit, I should have noticed. <laughs> it's either Dio or it's Joseph. What if it's both? Ooh. What if Dio's taken over jo- Oh, wait, we already went over that. <laughs> yeah, he, he's going to trade it out for an older, less useful bod. <laughs> he goes for George Joestar. Ooh. Rough. But he was eaten. Oh, wait, do you mean George Senior? Yeah, George Senior. Uh, yeah. Who was burnt alive. No, who was burnt dead. Yeah, he was very much burnt dead. <laughs> After the OP, they're like, oh no, look out for that bug stand. <laughs> just saying oh no look out for that bug stand doesn't sound very intimidating does it it's a big bad beetleborg it's got some like weird runes on its back yep or weird engravings or something it's got a gross frothing mouth as well at this point like weird acid as well. it's like yellowy uh brownie yeah kinda. just like bile yeah like sick I don't know, beetle bile. <laughs> so, you know, Jojo's like, okay, I've got my star platinum here. It's fast. It's precise. Let's just, just swat this fly. And he swings his hand at it. And it just... Negatory. Effortlessly just dodges it. Negatory on that one, Joe. At this point, Avdol tells us that he's heard there's a bug stand that likes to rip out its victim's tongues. Ooh. Ooh. That's, yeah, that sounds less good now. Yeah. And then the bug disappears again. And then it's back. <gasps> it shoots out a second mouth from its mouth. Like Alien. Exactly like Alien. Almost too much like Alien. I think we are basically dealing with a sort of Alien. Yeah. If we're, if we're delving into our horror movie references here, Alien would be the closest here. Yeah. I think Aeroplane is also sort of thematically linked to being in a spaceship. Yeah. that, you know, you can't puncture the, the exterior walls without all dying. And... Yep. Yep. Pretty much. Yep. It also looks exactly... Like, the thing that shoots out of its mouth looks exactly the same as Alien. Yeah, as an alien's inner mouth. <laughs> now, this is really... It shoots through Star Platinum and therefore Jojo's hand. Mm -hmm. And so that's gross. It's like sort of stigmata. You just don't like the idea of the palm getting punctured. No, not at all. No. Star Platinum opens its mouth in pain. And the tower needle, that's what they call it. Ah, That's easier than saying inner mouth. The inner mouth, yeah. Shoots towards his tongue and is like, oh no, he's going to get his tongue ripped out. Just like this guy likes to do. So he kind of like bites it. Yeah. He bites it so as to avoid it. Eating his tongue. Yes. Which seems like a sound strategy. You gotta eat it before it eats you. <laughs> He's trying to eat you, eat it the fuck back. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be good if he just reeled it in and chewed it up. <laughs> it's like that's his like newfound stand power. The, the, his newfound New stand fa- power. Newfound stand power. It's just he curls his tongue and then like keeps doing it over and over again to like reel it in like a <laughs> fishing rod. 
Um, so yeah, seemingly with him trapped, Jojo does his usual like flurry of punches type thing. <laughs> yep. But again, it doesn't work. He's too fast. And that needle apparently just breaks right off and it's fine. It's sort of like a lizard's tail almost. I guess so. <laughs> Where like the end of it is still stuck in Star Platinum's mouth. And yet it's fine. It just pieces out. Yep. And then it just grows a new one. And Abdul is like, it went for his tongue. That means it must be this stand I've heard of. That was a beetle. The tower card of the tarot. Representing destruction, calamity, and the end of the journey. Tower of Grey. (gasps) It's the 16th card. You know what's weird? Hmm? I get Star Platinum, Magician's Red, and I guess Hermit Purple being named after the tarot because Abdul is like, I'm naming your stands. I'm a fortune teller. Sure. But then everyone else... In the world, apparently, is like, oh yeah, we name our stands after tarot cards. <laughs> well, maybe there's some sort of universal... Union? Yeah. Like a tarot union that sort of came together and was like, we're going to make these things called stands and they're going to be named after us. <laughs> you don't get a say in this. And all the stand users were like, okay. Sure, whatever. We could beat you down, I mean, but... We don't really have any stake in this. Yeah, we, we don't care for naming. We're we just... want to cause plane crashes for money. Yeah. Because that's what this guy does. He commits mass murders and makes them look like accidents. For example, Avdol says there was an air crash in England last year that caused 300 deaths and is thought to be his work. He is the anarchist without a name, except he has a name. It's Tower of Grey. And his user's name is Greyfly, as we'll get to in due course. Greyfly? Now, I got a message from um, frequent corresponder Joshua Kevin Perry on Twitter. Uh Uh-huh. Love you, man. Keep up the good work. And I'm just pulling it up. Um, Joshua Kevin Perry conjectures that the the plane that was crashed last year, I think, could be um, Pan Am Flight 103, which had uh, approximately 243 passengers, 16 crew, and 11 on the ground injured. Uh, right. Or killed, I guess. Does that tally up to about 300? You know, it's 250 to 300. Yeah, yeah. Because I think he said that. Or I think probably more likely it's probably just a fictional plane crash. Look, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But that sounds about right, doesn't mm, it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, seems pretty uh, pretty plausible. <laughs> Assuming the plane crash happened in the first place. Bear with me. What if Pan Am didn't exist? It's like some lost shit. Yeah, maybe the plane crash was a clever ruse in order to get 300 plus people off onto an island. <laughs> it turns out this bug can speak. And it's like, you could put 10, gu- 10 guns shooting bullets at me from one centimetre away and they would all miss. Also, bullets can't kill me anyway. I'm surprised you're not doing the voice. Do you want to give it a go? Uh, what does he say? I haven't got an exact quote here. Bullets can't kill me! Uh, Didn't work as well as I hoped it would. (laughs) Alright. And they're like, okay, the stand user must be nearby. And we get shots of a businessman, an old man, and a young woman. Could be any of them. Could even be you. It could especially be anyone. (laughs) At this point, Kakyoin's like, oh, it's over there. And (laughs) it flies down behind the seats and then shoots through the backs of seats and heads. And we basically get to see some people explode in yeah, blood. grabbing their tongues along the way. It's and like... says, bingo, got their tongues. <laughs> Looks like you're... Bada bing, bada boom. Lost for words, eh? Looks like your tongue's... What's the are... matter? Stag beetle got your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Looks <laughs> like you're a bit tongue-tied for words. <laughs> Looks like Looks maybe... like I just murdered you. <laughs> <laughs> With tongue ripping out. <laughs> I like tongues. Look, mum, no tongue. <laughs> Because my tongue is a mouth, which also has a tongue inside of it. <laughs> so he grabs all these tongues, and then on the front of the cavern, he writes the word massacre in blood. The word's meaning to kill everyone. Dun dun dun. Is that what it means? Does it have a double meaning, maybe? Is there some deeper thing? I guess that's more of a revelation 
if you're a Japanese speaker who doesn't speak English. I guess. What, okay, in the original manga, was it written in English or in Japanese, though? I would hazard it would be in English on account of how it was in English in this. Okay, alright. Because I'm just thinking, if it wasn't in English and it was just, like, literally patronising the audience of... <laughs> massacre! Mass- no, it's like um, a series of unfortunate events where they always define words. Massacre, a word meaning here, to kill everyone. <laughs> the context would supplant its nature. Hmm. But that's not what it meant here. At this point, Avdol is like, well... Better burn this bug to death. Magician's Red, get out here. And then and Magician's Red shows up and is like, yo, let's do this. He's literally like, I am fucking ready to yeah. burn some shit down. And then oh. Kakuin's like, hang on, no, 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 no. This isn't gonna work. We're, we're on a plane, bro. Magician's Red just silently recedes back into Avdol. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, fine, I'll fuck off then. Yeah. So he says that um, obviously all that fire in the aircraft is going to be a bad idea too. A notice, bad idea. Yeah. notice how everyone here isn't invincible, uh, and that we are flying quite a ways above the Earth. And then he says that even um, Star Platinum's so strong that if Jojo is not careful, he could rupture the rupture the the hull. Mm, I don't trust some. Them. I don't trust anyone. You know, that's... Star Platinum, the incredibly precise yeah, stand. Yeah, literally precise enough to catch a bullet. I don't trust that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what if he misses? And then, meanwhile, when he starts having his fight, Kakuin just shoots diamonds everywhere. Yeah. I'm like, literally after telling everyone, no, 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 we got to be very careful. He's like, pew, 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 pew. Let's just fucking shoot the motherfucker. Yeah. At this point, the old man that we saw before wakes up and he's like, oh, it's so noisy. I'm going to go to the bathroom. What What's this stuff on the wall? M. A. K. Then his dentures pop out and he's like, oh no, blood. And then Kakuin knocks him out. What does he say? A venti? Uh, a temi, which I looked that up during watching it, which is a, a word... Just referring to, like, a body strike in karate or possibly taekwondo. Ah. I didn't remember the name of the martial art. Because he's well-learned, that kakuin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he knocks him out and dude goes down and they're like, okay, we got to defeat this mysterious stand user before other people wake up and panic. Other things will get bad. And so they do. No, um, <laughs> so... Cut to... Well, that was easy. <laughs> yeah, literally on, on, the to pl- Egypt. on the plane on the ground, like... Man, good thing we had no further complications on this flight. As they're returning to Japan. (laughs) Well, Dio went down like a chump. And then Holly just arrives at the airport. Hey guys, I'm better now. Like, oh, fantastic. And then Joseph just shows up. Hey, hang on a minute. You're still married to a Japanese man. That was the moral all along. Roll credits. California, here we come. (laughs) The real... The real villain was racism all along. <laughs> but Joseph never learned his lesson, and that's the real trouble. If only there was a stand out there that could defeat xenophobia. <laughs> that could defeat the darkness in our hearts. Ah, uh, yes. Virtuous Pope. <laughs> the one problem was Kakuin didn't know how to use it properly. Oh, uh, actually, I'm a bit of an atheist, so I don't really like calling my stand after the Pope. So, uh, is this my Kakuin impression? <laughs> <laughs> I went on a funny... Oh, I thought it was funny. Uh, I ranted on Twitter the other day about how evil Kakuin was like a guy who would boast on a Reddit about how rational he was. <laughs> evil Kakuin. Remember when he was evil? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he'd just be sitting at home like, <laughs> guys, I don't think you fully understand the real, real corollaries of this nature. Yeah. I am a virtuous pope, which means that I am inherently sacrilegious. Sacrilegious. You heard me. <laughs> <laughs> With this sweet bot, I can only be sacrilegious. <laughs> I am both delicious and sacred. Okay, and let's let's get back to the show. <laughs> so the beetle shows up again. Yeah, and he's like, 
I know you, Kakuine. Your stand sucks. You can't beat me. I'm too fast. And Kakuine's all like, Really? Bitch! Let me show you how it's done. Starts shooting emerald splashes everywhere, and the bug is pretty effortlessly dodging them. Uh, yes, showing two things. One, Kakuine is somewhat of a hypocrite. <laughs> and two, he's useless against this beetle. <laughs> or is he, though? Because at this point, the beetle counterattacks. <gasps> shoots out its tower needle into Hierophant Green's face mask. My god, how is this... Proving that he's not completely useless against well, the see, beetle. What happens next is Kakuine falls to the ground impotently. Wow. What? <laughs> the guy starts gloating and is like, You're too slow to get a bingo. With my next attack, I'll grab your tongue and rip it out. Is this guy like some really old poker player? Or like a really old guy that's in a nursing oh, home? Oh, yeah, you know, uh, my favourite my favorite hand in uh, poker is the bingo. <laughs> well, like, he's just there being like, Alright, jazz man, let's play that ace one more time. Bingo. <laughs> you know, like, he just uses really old slang. Oh, right. He's like, hey, bada bing, bada boom. Hate to jive that turkey. Well, he's an old man, so maybe he plays a lot of bingo. Yeah, I was just thinking, maybe he's stuck in a nursing home and the only time he gets out is... To know, cause plane crashes. Yeah, and he's like, ah, yes, the good old days. I really just like getting out of the home, you know, so... I remember I'll when... take any excuse, basically. I'm not, I'm not really invested in these mass murders. I remember the days when biplanes were the only means of transport <laughs> and they didn't fly well. So this guy... I see kind of a flaw in his plan, honestly. Go on. So he causes these plane crashes and makes them look like accidents. Mm -hmm. So how's his record for surviving plane crashes? Hmm. You know, I didn't think that far. (laughs) How does he survive the plane crash? I guess if you kill enough people on the plane, you can just grab a parachute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you take all the tongues with you, though, that would weigh you down. Because I'm assuming that he'd want to collect the tongues. Why? Well, if, he wouldn't be known for killing everyone and taking their tongues if he just left the tongues on the thing. That's true. Uh, like, he would have to take them and then either dump them into the ocean... Or they could just find the tongues on the plane. Yeah, but then he wouldn't be like, ah, yes, he took his tongues. It'd be like, ah, yes, he rips out all their tongues and just leaves them on the plane. I mean, they never say he took their tongues. Shit, maybe I'm... <laughs> I just assume... You're projecting a bit here. Look, it was a fun week, okay? What? I don't know. <laughs> It's a joke, Liam. Joke. Is it, though? Well, it's highly illogical. It's incongruent with expectations. We need to talk about... We we, we need to have a chat about joke structure, About comedy. Yeah. (laughs) We say this off air, though. You can't just say things. (laughs) What happens next? Oh, yeah, he's gloating again. He's like, uh, I'm going to rip out your tongue, your Stan's tongue, and it'll go mad from the pain. And then Kakuin's like, what? Did you say my my Stan will go mad from pain? And again, the, the thing... Aliens him Yep And he's like My Hierophant Green And at this point Ten Hierophant Green tentacles Shoot out from the backs Of all the chairs nearby And just Pierce him real good From all angles What? But how did he do this? How could he have known? At this point Kakuin is gloating again As he's wont to do If it rips you apart It'll go mad alright From joy Hey hey Finger guns Click 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 I don't understand How he'd be joyous If the beetle gets ripped apart No um Hierophant Green will be joyous. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> he is a virtuous pope after all. Yes. Like, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Now, we should probably mention the fact that throughout this sequence, my favourite piece of JoJo soundtrack is playing Virtuous Pope. Which... Kakuin's theme. Which combines, like, hard rock guitar and classical stringed instruments in a way I really like. You literally put it on after the episode and just went, this is the song that played. It's awesome. Yeah. I'll be back. And I was like, <laughs> okay. It's pretty dope, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I really like it. It has two key changes. Or morphisms, rather. Yeah. I don't know enough about musical terminology. It's literally Tell me like... about morphisms. Well, a key change is where you go from something like C minor to C major. Yep. Right? 
Or maybe you go from F minor to G major or something like that, right? Where there's a distinct, like, difference between the notes. Mm-hmm. A morphism is where you go, okay, cool, I'm going to go from F minor to G minor. So you literally just move all the notes up ah. by, like, a couple semitones. I learned something today. Yeah. It's still a key change. It's just a special key change. Hey. Hmm. The tendrils. I wish they had a name. Uh, the uh, hierophant green feet. Yep, sure. Because it feels like they're I mean, it's, feet. It's got like a snake tail sort of thing going on. Yeah. The tentacular... No. Okay. The hentailous... No. Uh, the... Veto. Okay. Oh, End of conversation. You get one veto an episode. Do I, though? You get more than one veto an episode. <laughs> they just rip him apart. Yeah, they literally just... And that old man that Kakyoin knocked out before. A picture of a rhinoceros beetle appears on his tongue. And his tongue is like cleft in twain. It's like a like a tattoo? Almost? Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's like tattoo style. Yeah. Indentation. Like old ritualistic looking beetle. And it looks freaking rad. <laughs> and also his head sort of explodes. <laughs> kind of. Minor detail. Yeah. He gets, like, a weird thing on his tongue, splits in two, head explodes. It doesn't literally explode, but there's, like, a, a volume of blood shooting out of it. Yes. Yes. Well, I guess it was the old man after all. I guess a repulsive stand usually has a repulsive user. Oh! Take that, old people. Damn! Brutal. Yeah, I think there's a cut here with it, like, for ad break or whatever, and they... Oh, not yet, not yet, No. That happens uh, after the plane. Well, there is a scene transition at any rate, because we cut to them having put his body in a seat alone by itself, and then they're putting a blanket over it. Yeah. What, happened, what about all the other bodies that he made? Oh, look, they're not important. <laughs> they're not that important. They're not going to cause a panic. I just love that in that bit, there's no one on the plane. Yeah. As you so rightly pointed out. And then in the very next shot, everyone's well, I, back. I looked and I assume they just found an empty corner of the plane to stick his body in. But they're definitely seated in like the centre. Yeah. Oh, he has no flesh bite. I guess he was just an arsehole. <laughs> huh. He was easily bored, blinded by greed. He just killed people. At this point, everything goes a little bit off kilter. Literally. Like a coffee cup falls off a tray. Yeah. Huh? Am I imagining things or the, is the plane flying crooked? Nah, man. Just just let it be. Let it be. And this is where I pointed out to you that this was clearly made pre-9-11. <laughs> because Joseph walks up to the cockpit and the flight attendants are like, Sir, passengers aren't allowed in the cockpit. And he's like, I know. Pushes them aside, effortlessly goes into the, co- the cockpit. <laughs> I imagine you could still get away with it today, though, surely. I think things are locked, for one thing. Uh, maybe. But, you know, weren't they locked back in the day? I don't know. You would think so. You'd hope so. Just some random dude is like, I can fly a plane better than these chumps. <laughs> fucking casual flight attendant. Fucking yeah, I got 600 hours on Microsoft Flight Simulator 95. Come on, get out of my way. Jojo also walks up behind the flight attendants and they're like, oh, so handsome. What a handsome young man. And as he always is when he's speaking to women. He just... Move, bitch. Yep. And I really like this bit, because then Kakyoin comes up behind Jojo. Oh, this is great. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's inexcusable of him to treat such young women like this. But this is an emergency. And then Avdol's just looking on in the background like, what the fuck is going on? No, it's like the women are like, oh, what a kind young man. Yeah. What an effortless what young being. What a kind, handsome man. Oh, he's so... He's so gallant. a minor. Yeah. And then Avdol's like, oh, he's so good with the ladies. Yeah. Ooh. In the cockpit, it's a bit of a mess. Yeah, literally. Ha! <laughs> There's blood, there's bodies. There's tongues. I'm pretty sure their tongues have actually been ripped out. 
Because I'm, that seems to be I the mean, way. I mean, we couldn't see because all the gore gets censored. So. Ugh, lame. Either way, they're dead. There's bodies. And the autopilot's being destroyed too. Oh no, the plane's going to crash. At this point, the man we thought was dead <laughs> looms behind them. And he's all like, Ugh. In fact, literally, he is a bit like that, isn't he? He gives a bit of a rant. He says, uh, I am the stand that holds the tower card, which suggests accidents at the end of a journey. He's saying this all with a split tongue. <laughs> so he'd be like, I am the fan that holds the tower card, which is the the end of the journey. I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't You will not reach Lord Dio. Even if you survive this crash, you are 10,000 kilometers from Egypt. Nice of him to use the metric system. Mm, yeah, that's nice. I always have a hard time converting miles to kilometers. I never really figure out what it is. I don't understand why anyone still uses miles, to mm, be honest. No, nor I. I guess we are biased, though. Look, we're biased in the best possible fashion. Those who swore loyalty to Lord Dio will pursue you every hour of every day. There are stands in this world you can't even imagine. It's a pretty good stand power. (laughs) (laughs) Just stands that you can't imagine. My stand power is that you can't imagine my stand. But then how will I fight it? That's the beauty of it. You can't. I mean, you can still see it. (laughs) (laughs) You just can't imagine it. Lord Dio is the master of stands. Lord Dio has the power to reign over all of them. There's no way you'll reach him. You bastards will never reach Egypt. And then he dies. Like, he just falls over. But no way he didn't do this while they were, while they were trying to stash him in a secret plane seat. Uh, it's not quite as dramatic. He wanted to wait till they knew the plane was going down to gloat. Yeah, and he needed that sweet cape. I'll bide my time. I'll bide my time. I'll bide my time and bite my tongue. Dude, you, you really need to... And then just, like, Jojo walks over with, like, a needle and thread and just... Jojo just walks up to him and snaps his neck. <laughs> bro, bro, we get it. Good grief. Goodbye. He dies. The flight attendants are like... <gasps> And Jojo's like, you're very professional. It's good you didn't scream. That would be annoying. (laughs) I like how it's, that would be annoying. Not, that would cause panic. Just, that'd be annoying. That would annoy me, personally. I hate when people scream. Cue the Nightcrawler intro. (laughs) You don't want Nightcrawlers? Do you mean the movie or the comic book character? The movie. Okay. Well, I'm not familiar with either, so. Ah, shit. You should watch that and then understand why... I hate it when people scream, it's such a good reference. Sounds creepy. Oh, it is! Oh my, it is. There's like just one bit where it's like implied that he's just like... Yeah, anyway, just watch the film, it's good. Okay. Jojo's like, okay, the old man's gonna land the plane, so go put life jackets in everyone. And they're like, you're right. Joseph is like, wait, I'm what? I'm what? He's got experience with propeller planes, but he's never landed a jet before. However, this will be my third time in a crashing plane. Have you ever heard of someone being in a crashing plane three times? <laughs> and Jojo's like, I'm never getting on a plane with you again. What a coincidence. Spoiler alert, that's not true. <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> now we break. Stand name, Tower of Grey. Stand master, Grey Fly. Ooh. Let's talk about Grey Fly and Tower of Grey. What does Grey Fly mean? Well, um, his namesake is the founding member of the Eagles, Glenn Frey. Oh. And we know this because the characters, even though that doesn't sound particularly similar to perhaps a, a Western ear, yeah. uh, the characters in their names are pretty similar. There are some characters listed here that I can't read, but they are pronounced uh, Garay Farai and Garen Farai. Ah, there you go. Yeah. And I've got a note here about the character and the stand. Because with a lot of these early stands, A, they're less interesting than they, they sort of evolve to be as the series goes on. Yeah. And B, there is much less of a distinction between the stand and the user, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, it's basically part of the course is that often the user is hiding somewhere and talking through their stand. And it's like, look, the stand is here. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in future, you'll get more of an emphasis on the user as opposed to the stand. Hmm. Interesting. So it's kind of like the stand is there standing behind them more so than they're like off there doing their thing. 
In future, yeah. Yeah, okay. Interesting. And that's just one of those little teething problems where they, as he gets used to the... Hmm, with the format and the... Yeah. Yeah. Noted for predictions. <laughs> of course, this is like talking tail end of part three where it starts going the other way. Huh. Okay. Where Dio just shows up and is like, okay, time to use my stand, <laughs> which is literally giant laser beams. <laughs> yep. That make air horn noises. <laughs> We were, jo- we were joking before we started watching that um, someone should do an edit of an episode of Dragon Ball Z where they replace all the sounds their lasers make with air horns. It would be phenomenal. So like, wow, 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 as, say, Vegeta is shooting out all these orbs. What's, is that, it's Vegeta that um, has the one that he, like, shoots out a hundred things, isn't it? I mean, I think they can all do that. Oh, okay, never mind. So, this is a note from uh, Jojo Velay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, which is uh, an art book, and each, each stand in it had a little... Um, Little summary. Okay. And this is the one about Tower of Grey. Here we go. I started with some of the less popular tarots for the enemies. The idea came from how annoying it would be if a bug got inside an airplane. But the meaning of this card is a pretty scary one. Wow, I mean that was just... <laughs> wow. Real deep, isn't it? He's a genius, isn't he? Hey man, do you hate it when bugs get on planes? Yeah. You'd hate this guy. Yeah, this guy's good. He's like the biggest bug you've ever seen. He is like a beetle. Don't let this mosquito bite you. <laughs> Don't let him get your tongue. So let's talk about the tower then. Okay, so the tower. The tower. Of grey. Yes. Okay. It's the 16th card in the Major Arcana. Mm-hmm. Uh, as everyone in the episode keeps saying, it frequently refers to danger, crisis, destruction, and liberation. Anarchy. Ooh. <laughs> sure. <laughs> The tower is an unsettling card. Fire, lightning, falling on jagged rocks. Definitely looks like trouble. Card 16 will not be welcomed by those who dislike change. It represents a sudden dramatic upheaval or reversal in fortune. Usually usually change is gradual, giving us time to adapt. But sometimes it is quick and explosive. This is the action of the tower. Like a, uh, a plane crash, for yeah. instance. Murdering the pilots. It's It feels like a strange um, name to associate with this... Um... This stand. No, I mean, uh, oh, yeah, that too. Hmm. Although, um, in a future part, it does sort of loop around in quite a funny way. Uh-huh. But I can't really talk about that. Okay. But no, I mean, it's, it's tower doesn't really imply chaos to me oh. in the terms of the tower, does it? Yeah. Though I guess I guess the the natural interpretation would be, say, a tower collapsing. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, like a guard tower. Mm, yeah. Where it's like you build it and then you just shoot people. Yeah. All right. I mean. <laughs> Jet fuel can't melt steel beams. Jet fuel can't melt trebuchets. Thought I was going to come up with something clever there, but no, just repeated that phrase. How you respond to the tower's change makes all the difference in how uncomfortable the experience will be. Recognise that disruption occurred because it was needed. Perhaps embracing the change is too much to ask, but try to find the positive in it. As when, deprived of their ability to use aeroplanes, they're like, okay, let's get down to business. This is our new route. In fact, you may feel tremendous release that you have finally been forced in a new direction. You may have a burst of insight about your situation and reach a new level of understanding about it. As we reach a new level of understanding that this isn't a globe... Okay, yeah, let's talk about this now. This is something that I've been wanting to talk about since we ended part two and it started part three. You seem quite eager to discuss it. So, if you recall, Mm -hmm. uh, Battle Tendency was more of like a sort of globetrotting adventure in the sense that Joseph would be like, Now I need to go to Italy. Cut to, now I'm in Italy. Whereas in this one, as we are now starting to see, it's we need to get to Egypt. Yeah. This is everything that happens on the way to Egypt. Yeah. Trials and tribulations around the world in 80 days, as they reference later. It's literally just, we've got to go to Egypt. We've got to go to Egypt now. It is like a a road trip story. The journey is the important part. It is an anime road trip story. Yeah. It's not about the destination, it's about the friends you make along the way. And the superpowers. Yeah. And Joseph Joseph. It's about the stand users you beat up along the way. 
and all the women that are just like, oh, what a handsome young man, move. Yeah. Yeah, and that's interesting to me. Hmm. That, that sort of difference in the way travel is treated. Instead of uh, not knowing where you have to go, it's now, we know where we have to go. Just the matter of getting there. It's the uh, Apollo 13 approach. Apollo 13? Apollo 11? Apollo 9? Apollo 8? One of the... These are all parts of the Apollo the program. Yeah, or one of the numbers where they went to the moon. And then they were like, okay, we know what the solution is. Now we just have to backward engineer it. Oh, that, I like in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely one of, one of the Apollos. <laughs> yeah, that is certainly one of the Apollos. It's not Apollo Creed. He is a character from The Office who is... He's like 20-something. Isn't the name of... Man. One of the victims from... One of the one of the, the guys from Rocky? Apollo Creed? Yeah. Probably. It's probably that Creed, who is actually like 80-something... Well, I think Creed in the movie Creed is the son of Apollo Creed. If oh. I'm remembering this right. Oh, well, there you go. Who is, you know... He was like a rival boxer in some of the Rocky movies. I'm pretty sure that's right. Let me check. Possibly. Yeah, fictional character from the Rocky films, initially portrayed as the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, played by Carl Weathers. Ah, there you go. Meanwhile, Apollo Creed from The Office is crazy. That must be a reference. Oh, it has to be. It absolutely is. Is there anything else you want to talk about the structure? Or is it sort of too soon on your heart part? I mean, I, I haven't really had the experience of what they do yeah. episode to episode well, yet. I think... Because so far it's just been, they are now in Hong Kong. We'll get to this later in the episode, as you say, when mm. they're now in Hong Kong. Yeah. But it's sort of a, almost like Joe, Joe's Bizarre Travel Guide too. Because you, you'll get bits where it's like, this is Hong Kong. This is what Hong Kong's like. Yeah. This is the local customs. I'm fully imagining that as they go to each place, they'll be like, this is what this place is like. Why don't you try this? And this is what this means. Yeah, pretty much. It's pretty fun. Yes! <laughs> oh, excellent. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. As you said... The plane lands, uh, we get a brief shot of the civilians in life rafts and stuff. Yep. And I think a helicopter must come and pick up the Joe Stars and take them to the mainland. Not another plane. Well, not the mainland, uh, Kowloon Island. Yeah, it's not Hong another... Kong Island? Kowloon. It's not another plane, obviously. Yeah. Obviously. Because if Joseph was in another plane... <sighs> fucking Joseph. <laughs> we get a, um, a narrator um, monologue about Hong Kong. Hong Kong Island, Kowloon, the new territories with more than 235 islands in the area. The view of the area at night is known as the million dollar view. That is a true fact. Yeah. Now I'm not, not especially well travelled, but this is one of the few places I have been. You've and been to Hong yeah, Kong? So oh. Recognising this skyline for me was quite nice because it looked very similar to even 30 years on <laughs> the skyline I saw. Did you uh, also get to see one of those sweet boats with the... Awesome sails. Yeah, yeah. There was like an yeah. old in the shot. There's an old timey um, sail ship in the in the bay. Nice. Did your trip resemble that of a JoJo adventure? Well, my mum got this sickness. You see, <laughs> was it a stand? Oh, and we did get a bit distracted then because we never talked about how the tower, yes, is opposed by the chariot ah. representing victory and control. Which, hang on, we'll get oh, to that in we'll due get course. Get to that and temperance. Signifying middle ground, staying together, containment, or the star for serenity, calm, and hope. The star, you say? Mm. Uh. These are all tarot cards in this show that we've encountered so far. So, an so anarchy and whatnot is counted by the star. I don't know where you keep getting anarchy from. I mean, you know, chaos, upheaval. Yeah, anarchy. Anarchy is a political movement, specifically, though. Yeah, I guess. I suppose. Pure... For more on anarchy, <laughs> listen to the latest episode of my other podcast, Mystery Hidden Detective Agency, which has an anarchist plot in it. And for more on chaos, just invite me to a party. And uh, the tower is reinforced by death, signifying sweeping impact of powerful forces. Death. 
and the sun, or showing enlightenment or revelation. Ooh, nifty. Mm. So it's kind of like the tower comes and then you make the revelation of, well, time to change. Yeah, I guess We so. have to not travel by plane. <laughs> <laughs> but as we were saying, uh, back to the episode, we've arrived in Hong Kong. Yep. Joseph is making a phone call to... Um, someone. Someone. Yeah. No idea who. Well, Joseph is portrayed as a very sort of worldly guy in this. He's got contacts all over the place. He's obviously got the full might of the Speedwagon Foundation behind him. Yeah. And he's got a friend's restaurant in Hong Kong. True, he does. Which is crazy. Yes. While he's making that phone call, everyone else is getting approached by a, uh, a street hawker. Which is great. He's like, hey guys, you tourists, you want some rice pudding? You gotta have some dim sum or rice pudding while you're in Hong Kong. It's the shit. And then Kakuin's all like... You might not know this, but rice pudding is actually it's a, staple a staple food, yeah. unlike in Japan. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, you know, the, the food sellers in Sleeping Dogs? No, but... Have you sure. played Sleeping Dogs? You got it. It's really good. Okay. It's like a Grand Theft Auto sort of a game with uh, Kung Fu. Yeah, I hear. I hear it's like, uh, what's his name? Um, John something. The really famous... Uh... John Wu? Yeah, John yeah, Wu. Yeah, there's some, some bullet time type stuff in it. Yeah, I hear uh, it's like that. But, but there yeah. are these street hawkers in that, and they, they sell food that give you, like, temporary buffs. And the best one is the guy who sells the pork buns, and he says something like, You are not a man if you don't eat a pork bun. <laughs> you must know the power of the pork bun. A man who does not eat a pork bun cannot call himself a man. Oh, that is fantastic. <laughs> and he also offers them hot cola, which sounds weird. I, I mean, I'm willing to try it. But it does sound not so enticing. Before Joseph interrupts, Kakuin orders some rice porridge. He has it the popular local way with pork and a century egg. Any idea what a century egg is, Nick? Not a euphemism. Nope. Uh, not a fetish. I'm willing to bet it's just a normal egg. In a manner of speaking. Okay, that means it's not a normal egg. So it's a Chinese um, food. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a preserved egg, typically duck, chicken or quail. Don't tell me it is preserved for a century because that would be that bad. is the sort of where the name is derived from. Though more realistically, it's a few weeks or months these days. Okay. All right. So it's sort of like a like a pickled egg. Yeah, basically. Okay. Uh, but it's like sort of black. Oh, I know them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never had one, but I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, uh, it doesn't sound particularly appetizing to me, but I'm sure there's an appeal if you have that sort of palate. Yeah, I'm sure that, like, if you go to Hong Kong and you eat there for, like, two days, you'll be like, don't worry, century egg, best thing you'll ever have. I'm sure it'll take longer than two days. After eating century eggs for two days, I think maybe you might... <laughs> After doing nothing but eating century eggs for two days. You just sit in a room and you, like, just grimly shovel oh, them God. into your mouth. Just, oh, God, why? <laughs> why did I consign myself to this? Joseph runs over and is like, hey, guys, don't order here. We're going to my friend's shop. It's going to be great. Don't be a chump. This place sucks. And the, the salesman is like, hey, dandy guy, want some hot cola? What? Hot cola? Everyone knows that cola's supposed to be cold. Flashbacks to when he necked that bottle of Coke in that alleyway. <laughs> oh, man. That cool, refreshing cola. Who are you calling? I'll explain at the shop. They go to the restaurant. They're in the restaurant. <laughs> they're in the restaurant. Joseph pulls out a map and they're trying to uh, sort of figure out their new route. At one point he has, like, some uh, some sad piano music started playing. It almost reminded me of, like, Moonlight Sonata. What? Hang on. There was sad piano playing? Yeah, when they're like, if we don't get to Egypt in 50 days to meet Dio, oh. then... And everyone thinks about Holly. Yes. Yes, that's why. Yeah. And they uh, they kind of start talking about how they can't take a plane. Because if another stand user attacks them on a plane, they can't guarantee there won't be more collateral damage. And Joseph's luck is three for three yeah. at this point. I mean, um, I'm sure he's been on other planes off screen. Like the one to Japan. And the one to Italy. <laughs> and the one to Italy. But, but at the same time, ooh, he 
he's crashed a few planes. He is an outlier on well, I the... I suppose he probably would have taken a boat across continents in the 1930s. Maybe. Like, transatlantic pl- flights had happened by then, but I don't think they had... I mean, obviously they didn't have, like, the big old jumbo jets. No, no. But at the same time, for the number of flights that he's been on that have crashed, he is an outlier. Yeah. Like, he is absolutely on the far spectrum of number of crashes that someone has been on. <laughs> so they talk about around the world in 80 days. And how it's a great... Like, it's a good tale. A hundred years ago, Jules Verne wrote a book in which the protagonist travelled around the world in 80 days, travelling 40,000 kilometres. That was in the age of trains and steamboats. Even without a plane, 50 days we'll be able to travel the 10,000 kilometres to Egypt. As for the route, I say we go by sea. Whenever anyone brings up Jules Verne, or Around the World in 80 Days, mm. I always remember the Dead Authors podcast. The Dead Authors podcast. Yeah, which is um a... It, it's finished now, but it was a live recorded... Um, fake in- interview show in which um, oh! Paul F. Tompkins plays H.G. Wells, uh, yeah. writer of uh, War of the Worlds and The Time Machine. And he interviews... In which H.G. has The Time Machine and he interviews yeah. historical authors. With Kristen Shaw, was it? Yeah, she yeah. plays uh, Tennessee Williams in her episode. It's really good. And um, the point being that um, H.G. Wells, the fictional Paul F. Tompkins persona, mm. has a real hate on for Jules Verne, being the <laughs> other big sci-fi writer at the time, being like... He- 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea just has a giant squid in it. Like, that's just a regular thing, but bigger. There's no invisible men in that. There's no such thing as an invisible man. That's science fiction. <laughs> I just love if, like, as the episode goes on more, it gets more and more bitter. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, you know, it's, I mean, how do you feel about, you know, not putting any thought into your ideas? Like, you know, I put thought into my ideas. Like, how would an alien talk? I mean, it's probably, but yeah. how do you feel What about, if there was a man who was invisible? How would you feel about, like, you know, if you could travel the world in 80 days. I mean, that just seems like a That's feat. That's something you could do. You know? Not science fiction. I mean, what if, say, a time machine existed? What if that was fucking science? Huh? Did no one seem to think about... Just that keeps going on and on. But we shouldn't spend too long rehashing the jokes of other podcasts. <laughs> That's where you're wrong. <laughs> Their new route is they're going to charter a boat, go south around the Malay Peninsula and cross uh-huh. the Indian Ocean. He refers to it as the Silk Road of the Sea. Makes sense. That, of course, being a trade route. Mm. Silk being a uh, prized commodity of the medieval era, the uh, eras before that. I believe as well. commonly imported from like China, China, India, and maybe America. And I think I don't know. One of the key trading posts was Istanbul or Constantinople. Yeah, there you go. Things I know about <laughs> historical trade. I'm sure we'll. That's learn about, about it. I'm sure we're going to learn more as we go further into JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> Abdul agrees and says that if they go by land, they would have to cross the Himalayas and the desert and that borders could give them trouble, cause delays. Yeah, that seems like a pretty good concern not to go through the Himalayas because the Himalayas are not a fun trek. No, nor the desert. Yeah. Wingsuits haven't been invented yet. You can't just glide through them. Steep is fun. You enjoy it? I've sort of stopped playing by this stage, but it is fun. Okay. It's almost the content. GG. So Joseph makes some remark about how... Over the course of this journey, the biggest danger they'll face will be enemy stand users. And they need to try to get to Egypt without any more noticing them. And the yep. camera sort of zooms back at this point to reveal the man. The tall haired guy. The tall man with the grey flat top uh, in the OP. The one that looks like the guy from King of Fighters. Yeah. <gasps> Should we describe him physically? Yes. He's got this big grey flat top uh, with sort of a mullet, mullet thing at the back. Yep. He's quite gaunt. He's got a... Uh, Broken heart earrings on. Each uh, each heart, one of his earrings is half of a heart. Oh, God. <laughs> and he's wearing... um, It's not exactly a tank top, but it's like a black top that starts at his waist, cuts cuts off just above his pecs, 
It's and then it has of... one strap going yeah. from like under one arm to the sh- other shoulder. It's like an awkward boob tube mixed with a singlet. Yeah. It's very strange. And then he's wearing, I think, like white pants. Yeah. Probably uh, with a, like a strong uh, fold going through the centre. Significant gusset. Yeah. Uh, just like the guy from King of Fighters. <laughs> we'll get to this next week, Nick. Oh, God damn it. Okay. When we learn this guy's name. Okay. All right. Or will we? God, if it if his name is actually just the guy from King of Fighters, that's, that's his name. Hi, I'm the guy from King of Fighters. Look for me in King of Fighters on the Super Nintendo or whatever. The Super Nintendo. I don't know what it's on. Oh, Liam, your ignorance astounds in me. In all participating arcades. That's better. Look for me at all places where Capcom is probably going to be and we want in. Oh, we get one of the fun things now where we learn about local customs. Oh, God, <laughs> yes. Kakuin lifts the the lid on his teapot so it's a jar and Jojo's like, huh? Well, Jojo, you see. Don't you understand? I'm a well-educated boy. I'm so worldly, Jojo. You wouldn't understand. So apparently when you leave it off, that means you want seconds. Yeah, it's local custom to do that to ask for a refill and then... Uh, when they do that, you tap on the table to signify thanks. You know what else signifies saying thanks? <laughs> saying thanks. Saying thank you. <laughs> Though, um, when I went to Hong Kong, that was useful considering the language barrier. Oh, is it still around? Yeah. Well, there you go. Wait, how long ago did you go to Hong Kong? Must have been around 2010-ish. Shit, that's still pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the woman who brings his tea looks exactly like Chun-Li from Street Fighter. To a fucking tea. Yeah. <laughs> like, straight up. Same clothes, basically. Yeah. Same face. Same hair buns. Yeah, the same cut up the thigh, and then, like, the hair buns are just right there, and you're like, man, it really is... Charming. And then she leaves the frame, is never seen again. She's off to fight M. Bison. Who, unfortunately, kills Guile in the film, I think. R.I.P. Rao Julia. Lost too soon to such a great film. I can't believe that was his last movie. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that we saw moments ago approaches with a menu in front of his face, signifying hidden intentions. <laughs> <laughs> His face is hidden by a menu, signifying an ignorance of the Hong Kong way. Excuse me, do you have a moment? I'm a tourist from France and I'm having a hard time with the kanji on the menu. Would you please help me out? Now, I noticed he didn't have a very strong French accent. No, he is speaking Japanese. He's already lying. (laughs) No, he is French. Yeah, so apparently he's French, but he doesn't understand the kanji. Jojo's immediate instinct is to say, you're annoying, go away. Which... Does he say that? Yes. Well, there you go. But everyone else is like, no, no, it's fine. Yeah, Joseph is like, now hang on a minute. I've been to Hong Kong a few times, or maybe more. I've got this friend who runs this place that we haven't seen yet. I know how to read the menu. Check it. Do you want something with, like, some beef mushroom or something? The phrase they use is food with shrimp, duck, shark fin, and mushrooms. Now, I must... Food must be an inelegant choice of word there, because it sounds like they're going for some sort of more specific noun. Like dish? Yeah, maybe. Because then later they say, this is food with beef, fish, clams, and frog. It could still kind of work. At least in English, it doesn't really seem the most elegant way to phrase it. Yeah. I imagine he means, do you want something with beef, fish? Like, as in each one is separate? Yes. So Joseph thinks he's ordering shrimp, duck, shark, fin, and mushrooms. And then with like a comedic gong, it's beef, fish, clams, and frog. And that's uh, that's a joke on kanji, I think. Wait. Yeah, just Joseph isn't as good at reading it as he thinks he is. <laughs> oh, Joseph. Oh, Joseph. You're you not ra- nearly as smart as you think you are. You racist shit. <laughs> but he fooled He's us all. He's only racist against the Japanese. That is true. He is only racist against the Japanese. Well, and hot cola. Because everyone knows that cola should be cold. <laughs> yes. That's just tradition. <laughs> and we see that the dishes they get are roasted frog, rice porridge, a clam dish, and stewed fish. 
God, that stewed fish actually looks great. I actually really like the look of the roasted frog. Holy crap, man. I really want to go to Hong Kong now. Let's go get some frog's legs. Let's go get Hong Kong food. Bye, everyone. Podcast off. Yeah. yeah. We just leave it recording and <laughs> just go get some food. It's just 30 minutes of silence. I, I come back alone like six hours later like, oh, yeah. Still shoveling like leftovers in my mouth. Padding for content. So what happens next is <laughs> Joseph laughs and like, oh, well, I'm buying anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yep. He's... Fucking rich. It doesn't matter if he yeah. buys the restaurant or not. Everyone looks really hesitant, but after they try the food, they like it. Mm. And then our Frenchman, he's like, huh, they've put a lot of effort into this food. Look, they've even cut these carrots into stars. Can we can we just note how well drawn that carrot was? That was pretty well nice. Like, it looked like a real carrot. <laughs> what the fuck? A JPEG of a real carrot they've stapled in. Ah, huh, okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> They're shaped like stars. It reminds me of something. Everyone's dramatic eyes flash across the screen. It's sort of like they slowly pan across one by one. Yeah. And their faces are all like... <gasps> and it happens what? again in a moment where they each get like a corner of the screen oh. being like... <gasps> so good. <laughs> it's so stupid. That's right. Someone I know has this exact mark on their neck. Are you another enemy stand user? Da, 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 da. So at this point, something amazing happens. Mm. The rice porridge on the table mm-hmm. starts to look like it's boiling over. Uh huh. Yeah, but that's... and then the point of a rapier shoots out of it. Uh, I believe it's pronounced a rapier. Sure. I don't know how it's actually pronounced. I, I habitually mispronounce that word, so yeah. you, you're you're all gonna have to get used to it. Yeah. Okay. It's like how we keep saying J- Jotaro wrong. I say Jotaro fine. Shit. Jotaro. 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 So this rapier shoots out of it. They're like, look out! And Joseph catches it with his cyborg hand, which is pretty cool. And it's just a rapier that came out of some porridge. (laughs) And attached to that is another metal hand on a metal arm and a big old nightstand that we've seen in the OP a few times. Hey, that looks awfully familiar. Yeah. For a second, I thought you were just going to end it with, yeah, and so this this rapier comes out. He catches it with his metal hand. That's it. (laughs) Yep. There's well, nothing else to it. Well, I gave it my best. Dude walks off. <laughs> I'm not a stand user. I'm just really good at hiding rapiers in rice porridge. <laughs> it's like a sort of magic trick I do. They're really bendy. Avdol stands up, kicks over the table, kicks over the table, and summons magician's rest. Immediately, the fight has begun. You got to uh, give the guy credit for his reflexes there. Oh yeah, and Joseph too, I guess. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. He did catch it with his hand. Yeah. So. Uh, oh no, another stand user, better shoot fire at him. But no, he stabs the fire with his sword and then flings it at a table. Which we don't know if that's how fire works, but we're willing to <laughs> go with it for now. Well... Magic fire. I mean, I can I can buy the flinging it onto the table in the shape of a clock. Okay, that's... Uh-huh. That's pretty great and stupid, but, you know, not outside the realm of stand magic possibility. Okay. But the thing that gets me is the fact that this clock apparently works. <laughs> because he says, I'll defeat you before the clock strikes 12. No, no. Burns 12, please. Very big difference. Right. That's the that's the reasoning right there. And he says that his stand, Silver Chariot, so holds the chariot card. <gasps> it's a chariot! So even though we'll talk about this guy next week, let's talk about Silver Chariot now. I was completely wrong last week. Because I thought it was going to be called Tower of Grey. Yeah, I mean, you were close in that he appears in the Tower of Grey episode. And I also think Silver Chariot is about as close as you could get to Tower of Grey in terms of both tarot naming, if not symbology, Mm -hmm. and uh, colour, as you could get without being right. Yeah, apart from, uh, you know, everyone's favourite, Lady 
chrome. Yep. Yep. Silver chariot. Stop. This is from the Jojo Vela books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also a Jojonium note that I will discuss next week when we I, talk about the character. I desperately hope this is going to be just as, like, literal as the last one. Star Platinum looked like a human, so I made this one European armor plus robot, contrasting punches with a sword. Both the user and chariot are fun characters to draw. They're classic style and highly mobile. <laughs> is that it? Is yeah. that really it? Yep. God, every time I'm expecting him to just be like, so I chose this because it really made a good, like, symbolic... Uh, message contrasting between the anger and repression of uh, Jotaro with his stylish and flamboyant. No, no, no. It was really fun to draw. Yeah. It's just like a knight and a robot guy. I mean, given that he's the only European member of the party, it makes sense that he has a, like a knight theme. Yeah, but... Although I, I guess just... Joseph is technically English, even though he's lived in America for most of his life by now. At the same time, just from like a... This is how far I delved into it. He's just like, yeah, I didn't think it through that much. I just like to draw it. As we've talked about previously, he des- designed all the protagonists. Because, spoiler alert, this guy's in the OP a lot, so he becomes a protagonist. What? <laughs> um, at the same time, and he wanted them to all sort of fill different niches. And yep. I think this is like a fun sort of... Um, it's a stand that's still in the same style as Star Platinum, but it still can be visually distinct because... You know, it's, a it's another close range combat stand, but it's, you know, got a sword as opposed to just punching people. He's good for cutting rather than punching. Yeah, sure. He well, not, not even cutting because it's a, a rapier, so it's for stabbing. It's for, it's for a stabbing. Yeah. I'll stab you good, mate. <laughs> I'll come at you with my big knife. You call that a stand? This is a stand. That's not a stand. That's a knife. That's a spoon. Oh, so you've played standy knifey spoony before. <laughs> that's a good episode of The Simpsons. Best stand. <laughs> The Chariot. The Chariot. What? What is it? Who does it do? The seventh card in the Major Arcana, mm-hmm. uh, symbolising achieving victory, exercising your will, asserting yourself, and achieving hard control. I'm sorry, hang on. Hard control. And I had to look that up, but it refers to things like mastering your emotions and curbing your impulses and being disciplined. Okay, so it's not just like controlling your limbs or no. anything. It's like, like controlling Like strength of life. will. Yeah, okay. All right. The Chariot represents the positive aspects of the ego. A healthy ego is one that is strong and self-assured. It knows what it wants and how to get it. We can get annoyed at someone whose ego is too healthy, but we often wished, uh, we often turn to that person to lead us through difficult moments. We know he or she won't be wishy-washy. I have never turned to a criminal whose ego is too large. Where'd you get criminal from? Well, a, a big ego knows what it wants, and sometimes people just go ahead and just try and get what they want. Making a lot of logical leaps, like, Nicholas. Like, you know, if they want a car, they'll just go and steal a car. And they're like, look, I got me a car. And you're like, wow, you must have a big ego. I should steal a car. No, that has well, never happened. No, that's not really right, because in readings, the chariot can mean self-control or control of the environment. Ah, I see. This card also represents victory. There are many types of wins. The chariot is of the win-lose type. Your success comes from beating the competition to become number one. Such hmm. moments are glorious in the right circumstances. <laughs> Glorious, such is the chariot way. LearnTarot.com also had a long analogy about, like, picture Julius Caesar riding into a conquered city atop a massive horse. It was really weird. But what? No, because then he needs a chariot, doesn't he? (laughs) They missed the analogy. (laughs) The chariot is opposed by strength, which uh, represents soft control. We'll find out what that means when we get to strength, I guess. Okay. And the hanged man. Accepting God's will and putting others first, as well as the tower, symbolising defeat or a humbling experience. So he would have been screwed if the Tower of Grey was, like, you know, there when he was there. It's not a Pokemon thing, Nick. 
stands that I want to believe are opposed by. I want to believe that okay. tarot aren't weak to their attacks or anything. I want to believe that maybe all the different tarot cards are super effective against other different tarot cards. And when you draw the tarot cards, it's secretly a Pokemon battle. Nick, Nick. But with your fate. Nick, you're my good co- podcast co-host and I love you. But you take things very literally sometimes. <laughs> uh, this is what having SPD is like, man. Feckle. <laughs> and it's reinforced by the magician, uh, symbolising will and concentration. Will and concentration. Okay. Too bad he's on the wrong side. For now. Oh yeah, True. Okay, Abdul, I'm going to kill you first. Going to do you before the clock burns to 12. And that's the end of the episode. That's it. That's that's where we end. Get the fuck hype. What the shit just happened? Next time, Silver Chariot. So let's talk about our highlights and lowlights for this episode. Okay. Uh, lowlights? I know already. Hey guys, don't use your stands recklessly. Emeralds splash <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Ugh. Like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, but didn't you... T- what? No. What? Like, that was my exact reaction in my head. Yeah, that's fair to say. YOLO light. I'm going to go with the fact that in the... As we've discussed before how we like to watch on Crunchyroll, so we even moderately support the series as we uh-huh. make a make a show out of it. Yep. But unfortunately, that means we are subject to their censorship of gore and such. Yes. And most of the time, I'm fine with that. Because, you know, gore, even if it does add to it, gore makes me a bit squeamish. Mm-hmm. Although in this episode, it did kind of ruin things by... Just blacking out the entirety of Greyfly's face as he was giving his big rant. You're just like, come on, I can see the tongue. Yeah. Do you know if um it was originally drawn and then they've just blacked it out? Yeah, there? yeah. Oh, and so yeah. if you get, say, the Blu-ray releases, it's all uncensored. Ah, ah. So the two things they always censor heavily are gore and smoking. Or particularly if it's an underage person smoking. Oh, okay. Interesting. I imagine that's just... Because modern... Yeah, sort of Japanese censorship standards, you know. um, The weird censorship that happened in, like, the 80s. It's just like, oh, yeah, you can't have this thing. Okay, can we have people exploding? Oh, hell yeah, you can have people exploding, but you can't have this thing. But you can't have gore. Yeah, you can't have gore. It's like, well, what's the difference between gore and someone exploding? Look, we said you can't have... Look, look, buddy. You can't argue with those um, those FCC type boards, I guess. Although, to be fair, there is no uh, ratings board in Japan. I don't know enough about their broadcast industry. Apparently, it's just like, okay, you can't have gore. Cool. What else? No, no, no. You just can't have gore. Like, so as long as you adhere to like their minimum standards, you can it just do whatever? It doesn't get banned, yeah. Okay, Apparently. I think. I think that's how it works. Highlights. Uh, the clock. I know you're just like, it's so dumb. It's so no, dumb. No, don't even, don't even but, like, It's really dumb. Yeah. I love it. But like, what? Already we are setting up a premise that is fucking incredible. <laughs> when this burning clock burns to 12, you die. <laughs> oh, good shit. It's pretty neat how, for whatever reason, either through quick movement or just stand magic, he can pierce and then throw away fire. Need a fucking clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also the fact that we're in Hong Kong, we get all this learned stuff, and I feel like every episode is going to be a new adventure in a new place. Yeah, that's going to be a, a staple is, of the show from this point on. Which is going to be Much like rad. rice porridge is a staple in Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> For my highlight, it's got to be a first appearance of one of my favourite soundtrack songs, Virtuous Pope. Hey. A song that plays when Kakuin's going to do something cool. With some sick morphisms in there. As you said. Mm. Which brings us to the next part of our show... I asked you, Nick Valentine, uh-huh, yep. what do you think is going to happen in the next episode of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure Part 3, Stardust Crusaders, entitled Silver Chariot? It would be my absolute delight to try and figure out what the fuck is going to happen. Compared to previous weeks, I think you've got a pretty um, pretty solid lead in this time. Yeah, okay. So they're fighting the chariot man. What's his name? I don't know. 
However, I like to think that it's going to be Jean something. Okay. Because he's French. Yes. Uh, Jean... It can't be Jean Derrière. That's too dumb. <laughs> Jean... Or maybe Jacques? Ooh! Like Les Mis style. Although, didn't that come out? I don't think there's a Jacques in Les Mis. Jean Valjean. Exactly. Shit. <laughs> um, so, his name is Jean Valjean. His name is Jean Valjean. Actually, you know what? Let's just roll with that. <laughs> Jean Valjean will fight them. Abdol at last. <laughs> I've come to hunt you, Joseph Joestar. That wasn't at all they missed. No. Started there. <laughs> Everyone in the background's like, stands, stands. Can't you hear the bell ringing stand? Uh, yeah, so they're going to fight Jean Valjean. He will start the episode an asshole. I didn't see the bug thing on his head, but we didn't see that with Catherine yeah. either. So I reckon it's going to be like under his mullet <laughs> this time. So it'll be like... Oh, on the back of his head? Yeah, on the back Ugh. of his head. Right in the spawn. But poking to the same place. I think he was saying spine with a heavily Australian accent there yeah, for the listener. Yeah, mate. It's a spawn, isn't it? Yeah, they're going to start fighting him. Abdul is probably going to get taken out of the fight. Oh, okay. So it's like, oh, he's he's no slouch. Yeah. So he's going to make the fire clock actually reach 12 and then he'll, like, kill quote-unquote him. Um, but he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be mentally scarred, but he'll be fine. One of the funny things in this part, because of the episodic nature, mm. uh, which... You saw to, I guess, a limited extent in part two, but less so, is that each week these guys are taking some, you know, at least some pretty significant injuries if they all add up, but then next episode they're just fine. Yeah. Like we saw this week where um, Jojo got his hand pierced through. True. Now he's just fine. Now he has his fully recovered hand. Yeah. Well, you know, it's been a few hours, maybe less than. Joseph uses his his ripple to heal them. Ah, Jesus Christ. Actually, you know what? That's not the worst. That's not un- that's not an entirely unjustifiable thing. Yeah, true. Um, so yeah, I reckon... I'll fight. Abdol will lose. Abdol will lose, and then uh, Joseph will be like, Oh, shit. I got this. Vines. <laughs> no, he'll just be like, Fuck. Abdul's fucking dead. Quickly, someone do something. Emerald Green will... Hierophant Green. Hierophant Green will uh, do some Emerald Splashing, and then he'll be all like, Pokey Pokes, all the Emerald Splash, which will then allow... Jojo to come in and be all like, fuck you! Sucker punch him in the back yeah, of the head. Just literally punch him into submission uh, in one hit. Alright. Or do his no 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 thing. Aura, aura, aura. Aura, aura, aura thing. Just once. And then he'll be like, shit, how did I not predict that he would punch me a thousand times? <laughs> My one weakness. Getting uh, punched in the face. Yep. How ironic that I would be defeated by the very punches that I had hoped to put on you. <laughs> So then, ooh, okay, there's two ways that this could go. Yep. They pull up his hair, there's the bug there, they rip it out, and then they're all like, you there, young man, are you okay? He's like, shit, yeah, I'm okay. That bastard Dio. And then he's going to team up. Let's go fuck him up. Or, it could be that they don't actually beat him in battle, and we get a Batman versus Superman situation, where either they, like, punch him out on the ground, he's like, I've lost. But you have shown me what true friendship is. Holly's my mum's name too. Jesus. Yeah. It would either be, I've lost, but fucking, you guys are cool, I want to come with. Or, he's about to win, and then they're like, but it's for his mum, Holly. And he's like, what? I once had a mother too. I love mothers. If there was anyone I would love, it would be your mum. And then Jodor will be like, you son of a bitch. Have you guys, like, been IMing or something? (laughs) Pointing between him and Kakuin? (laughs) And then Abdul's like, well, I didn't want to say anything, but, like, since we're all saying it, guys, <laughs> every character along the way is like, oh, Holly, I know her. She's great. If I would ever fall in love with someone, it would have been like someone like her. Jotaro lowers his hat even lower. Yeah. You know, I reckon he's going to have a mind slug. 
I reckon he's going to have a mind slug because mm-hmm. he's probably going to be a cool French dude. Maybe a little flamboyant. He'll be the, like, cool, happy one compared to everyone else who's very serious and very down and right, dire. Right, yes. <laughs> You know? Yep. Except so, for Joseph. Except for Joseph, but who he's, is... He's got serious things on his mind at the moment. Yeah. He's always deadly serious at all times, clearly. Um, and that brings us to the end of our episode. Uh, if you want to correspond with us, hit us up at... Uh, Jojo's Podcast on Twitter or jojospodcast at gmail.com. Got a, a brief question from someone on Twitter just as we started recording today. Just wanted, mm-hmm. They just wanted to know, <gasps> if we have a question, should we post it here or the podcast email? Thanks. And really the answer is like either or. If you can fit it in a tweet, I'm fine with taking questions on tweets. Or if, you know, if it's longer, email's great. Okay, and I guess that just leaves. Until next time. To, to be, be continued. continued.